And we welcome you back to the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and addressing the existential threats to America. Joining me today is Mark Krikorian. He's the border guy. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Recently did a tour of the southern border. And, of course, conversation with my colleague here, Claude Jennings. Before we jump to the conversation with Mark Krikorian, I got Bill on the phone because we recorded this interview before the leak of the Supreme Court uh, draft opinion uh, on Roe versus Wade. And we didn't want to release this episode without Bill addressing his thoughts on it. So I got him on the phone. He's going to share those thoughts and then we'll jump into the interview with Mark Krikorian. Well, the protests are on both sides, but the violence seems to be uh, the activity of the left. Uh, It's amazing to me, this reaction. This is a draft opinion. It's not the law. It's not the full opinion of the court. You know, they're breaking windows and cop cars in Los Angeles. And we're seeing all sorts of uh, ridiculous comments being made about burning the country down and so on. But, I mean, I I guess we get used to this, uh, this behavior from the left. Look, you know, Roe was not a very well-decided decision of the court, even Justice Ginsburg, one of the most liberal members ever of the court, but just retired, you know, said it was it was badly decided. It was not well argued. A, it's premature. B, it's wrong. And of course, the leak is, is impossible. It's just ridiculous. We can't have these things going on. But now we hear this morning, Claude, that they're getting the addresses of the Supreme Court justices at their homes so that they can harass the justices and their families. It really just has to stop. It's aimed at stopping an opinion, which may come down. It's also aimed at ginning up the base for the fall elections. Uh, it won't affect the opinion. Uh, the justices will do what the justices are going to do. But in terms of the fall election, yeah, it will turn out left base. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who, you know, scurry to the polls and fear that, you know, it'll be panicking and becoming a nation is going to rob women of their rights. That's what will be said. But I don't think in the end it's going to change uh, what's, I think, going to happen, which is a Republican House, maybe a Republican Senate. Uh, One, it's too early. This thing came out too early. And if it had come out late summer, it might have had more effect. But now there's a lot of time to sort out what it is uh, the left is saying. And, you know, some states will have very liberal abortion laws. They've already announced them, Illinois, New York, California. Uh, Other states will not. But um, I think, you know, it's it's early May. We're talking about November. I mean, I think, you know, these guys are going to shoot their shoot their their cannon off too early. And uh, it's not going to it's not going to register. But, but, you know, something strange is going on here. That kind of desperation. When the president of the United States says the MAGA crowd, you know, people who wear MAGA hats uh, are the worst group in American history, you know, most dangerous group in American history. What is he talking about? I mean, I, you know, as a Trump supporter, uh, I didn't agree with everything. And, you know, people listening to this pod know, know my views. I had I have a hat. I, you know, I bought a couple of hats early on. I mean, I, am I one of these crazy extremists uh, because I supported Trump over Biden? My gosh, I mean, you talk about the old Hillary comment about deplorables. This is this is worse. What the, the president said. So I mean, you know, this is um, we're we're, we're going to have a nutty season. We're definitely going to have a nutty season. You know, one thing that I'm hearing a lot, you know, on the left, uh, one of the narratives is, you know, who leaked it and the leak is not important. The, the important, what's important is the draft and the sit. No, the leak is important. And who leaked this is important. Yeah. This is it. The first thing that I thought about when I saw this story was who in the world 
would there at the Supreme Court would leak this draft decision because yeah. from what I understand, yeah. all these decisions you know go through drafts and different revisions and stuff like that. And so a lot of times right, when right, something right, is right, shown, right. it's 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 in its third or fourth revision. But so who knows what it's going to be when it comes out? But the fact that someone would leak this and a narrative on the left is the the who leaked it and the fact that there was a leak is not important. The, what's the the content of it is important. No, no, no. What are you talking about? Of course, this leak is important. If nothing goes through its process, then what are we doing in this country? Yeah. Well, the rules. I mean, the rules, the rules are, you know, they break the rules. I mean, and, and that they, you know, the guardrails here are not, are not there on the left, uh, whatever it takes to win. Uh, and, uh, you know, they'll find out who leaked this because uh, it's a finite number of people. It's a terrible thing. The history of the court apparently never has happened. So, yes, I, 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 to- I totally agree with you. Uh, once that person is uh, identified, you know, they need to be, you know, make sure they don't practice law. And certainly they don't practice their craft up at the Supreme Court. But mm-hmm. um, the longer implications are, uh, I think, what I was talking about. Sure, sure. Uh, and we shall see. And we shall, and we shall see. But it's uh, it's going to be, it's going to be an ugly, ugly summer, possibly, oh, and fall yeah. with this, uh, with this, uh, with this election and this temperature. Uh, you know, so so uh, highly inflated. All right, that's it. I mean, we welcome uh, our listeners to send us their opinions, uh, their thoughts for the next podcast, and. Um, we will be in touch. I got a wedding. I got to take care of. Uh, your right. son's getting married, <laughs> yes. so we're going to. Uh, but you know, you'll you'll continue to hear from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I may sneak off during the reception, and you know, you and I might record a session there. Yeah, I'll so set up I in my car outside of the uh, the venue, yeah, and you I'll just come to the pleasure to see. We'll record in the car. <laughs> Well, we're going to a blessed uh, a blessed sacrament yes. uh, of matrimony at the church. And uh, we're we're just delighted. Uh, we're just delighted to send off our thirty-two-year-old son uh, into uh, into life's most important union uh, in uh, in partnership. Okay, Claude. Thanks very much, folks. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Appreciate it. All right, Dr. Bennett, for a few weeks now, I've been talking about Athletic Greens, AG1. And man, let me tell you, I've been doing this consistently. It's an easy part of my morning routine. I just take a scoop of the powder, add some water, shake it up, and then I take it right there in the morning before I leave the house. And let me tell you, I can tell a difference. The biggest difference that I've noticed is in my digestive process, if you know what I mean good digestive health. I feel energetic as well. I feel light during the day. And I know I'm getting all the nutrients that I need. It's getting the job done. One scoop of AG1 and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. I don't even know what an adaptogen is, but it's in there and it's to help you start your day right. So this special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, your aging, all the things that my wife seems to be worried about when it comes to me and my health. And I'm worried about it, too. I want to make sure that I do things right. So here's how I take my AG1. It comes in a great package. They send you the powdery mix. It's all in the bags and stuff there. But they also send you a water bottle, and it's got the measurements, how many ounces, so you don't have to guess the measurement. You take one serving of the powder, 8 to 12 ounces of water. You shake it up, and then you take it. I do it in the morning, and let me tell you, I do feel more energetic. And I just feel good knowing that the essential vitamins and minerals and all the things that I need to be healthy, I'm consuming it in this one drink. Now, here's the thing about taste. Because that's one of the things I worry about. I'm going to be honest. 
It's not as if it's cookies and cream ice cream, okay? It's a supplement. It's not coffee with a ton of sugar and hazelnut cream. That's not what it is. It's a supplement. But I will say this. It's the best supplement that I tasted. It just kind of tastes like flavored water a little bit, and that's fine with me. I was actually pleasantly surprised about how it tastes. Now, I actually would recommend this to family and friends, which is why I'm sharing it here on the podcast. Here's the cool thing about it. Number one, it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this is good for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. It costs you less than $3 per day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Athletic Greens AG1 was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It cost him $100 a day. So he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on your own. So listen, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. Simple and nutritious. One scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash bill. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash bill to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's now time to speak with Mark Krikorian. He's the executive director of the Center for Immigration Studies. How are you, Mark Krikorian? I'm doing fine. Just got back from the border Saturday night. Took a group down there for a week down on the South Texas border. Tell us. On the one hand, you know, it's a big area. Texas is a big state, so it's not like you're seeing people running across the street everywhere. But um, it's pretty bad. Uh, The Border Patrol guys I talk to are just not only are they um, demoralized, but they're actually terrified at what's going to happen when the uh, what's called the Title 42 rule is lifted, which allows them to return some illegals without hearings or anything. And, um, you know, when that ends, even Biden's. Uh, DHS is a fearing that the flow of illegals could double or even more across the border. And, um, you know, it's uh, we talked to some landowners who live right on the river, very, you know, various places up and down the river in that area. And they're all just hopping mad. Uh, and, you know, the, the president and his administration does not have a lot of friends down there because they realize that the root cause of the border crisis is sitting in the Oval Office. Right. And uh, until that changes, you know, there'll be some ups and downs, but I don't think you're going to see a basic change in what's going on down there. We have uh, been, I mean, I've been alarmed and, you know, partly by, you know, your good work over the years, but particularly alarmed this year by just seeing the numbers on the screen. And then I I hear that with the removal of 42, this could double. So what's the superlative for cataclysmic. I mean, it's been really bad, right? I don't know what the right adjective is, but where are we now and where are we going? I mean, it, it, it's it's pretty close to, to, to horrible now, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, 
Obama's Homeland Security Secretary, Jay Johnson. Now, I didn't, you know, he's a Democrat. I disagreed with him on a lot of yep. stuff, but he's a serious person. He's not a yes. hack or a liar. Yes. And he had said not that long ago, a few months ago, that when there were a thousand illegal alien arrests in one day along the Mexican border, he knew that that was a bad day. Yeah. Well, we are now running at maybe 7,000 or more a day. There's a thousand illegal immigrants being arrested in a day just in the sector of the border I was at, which is the farthest, most southernmost part of the Texas border. Where were you? Nuevo Laredo or? No, no, further, further down river. This is McAllen and Brownsville. Oh, Brownsville, okay, McAllen. All right. right. Yeah. And talked to a Border Patrol agent on Friday. He had worked the night before. And he said the night before was a slow day on in his stretch of the border, and they caught 700 illegal aliens on a slow day. So they're catching on a regular day, just in that one section of the border, a thousand illegal immigrants a day, which is what Obama's DHS secretary was said was a bad day along the entire border. Yes. And what they're talking about when they lift this Title 42 rule is they're worried about as many as 18,000 a day illegal immigrants along the southern border. Literally 18 times what Obama's own DHS chief said was already would have been really pretty bad. You haven't given me. Yeah, I don't have an adjective yet. A mega disaster, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm running out of running out of superlatives. No, no. Right. Right. Why? What is what what is in their mind? What is in their head? It's recruiting for the Democrat Party. That doesn't seem to be going so well in terms of Hispanics who become American citizens. Yeah, no, it's not really turned out that well. I mean, I have two points to make. One is if that were their plan, it's not working because down there, I went, I've been down there twice, actually, in the past couple months. And the first time I was down there, I met with a couple of congressional candidates, Hispanic women, Republican congressional candidates. Right. There are three districts, congressional districts that have that have some border frontage down there in far south Texas. It's not impossible, unlikely, but not impossible that all three will have new congressmen next year who will be Hispanic. Republican women. One of them will definitely win, um, almost certainly, Monica de la Cruz. Remember that name. There's a couple others that might win. Odds aren't quite as good. But the fact is, you know, people down there, they have been, look, they're sort of ethnically Democrat in the same sense you see that in a lot of northern cities, you know, a lot of Italian and Polish people. And so they're still voting for Jack Kennedy and FDR. But What's happened, I think, is a combination of the disaster at the border with a lot of other things, you know, all the other crazy boys should wear dresses and all that other stuff is pushing Hispanics, including, um, you know, immigrants. One of the congressional candidates, a woman herself is an immigrant from Mexico, is pushing them away from the Democratic Party. But your first question, I think, is um, probably more important, and that is that I don't think the Biden administration and, you know, the immigration radicals that are driving the bus there, I don't think their first concern is importing voters. You know, Tucker Carlson has talked about that and so have a lot of people. And, you know, it's not that that's nothing that they don't consider that, but I don't think that's front of their mind. They're the reason you're seeing what you're seeing here is that this administration does not think the American people have a right to say no to anybody. They do not think immigration limits are legitimate. 
And so this is why, um, what's his name? Secretary Mayorkas, DHS secretary, was just on TV over the weekend. And I think it was on Brett Baer. And Brett Baer basically kind of pressed him on this. And he said, you know, is your plan to reduce the number of people coming across the border? And Mayorkas basically said, no, their plan is to make sure that people are processed efficiently and, you know, quickly and comfortably and humanely and all the rest of that stuff. In other words, they don't see their goal as limiting this flow of illegal immigrants across the border. They see their goal as processing them more efficiently and expeditiously. And that's fundamentally at odds with what most Americans, even most Democrats, think that immigration policy is for. And even at odds with what I've heard him say and heard Vice President Harris say, don't come. Yeah, well, the part that they're not saying there is don't come, it's making us look bad. Don't come, it's a political problem. But, you know, and and in fact, that's one of the things that this disinformation star, you know, this ridiculous story, it's actually partly an immigration thing because this disinformation office, you know, with that crazy lady. Well, part of the point of it is they're trying to combat disinformation in Central America and Haiti about, you know, the uh, coming to the border and your chances of getting in, except that's not disinformation. That's correct information. In other words, you can take out all the newspaper ads and radio ads in Central America and elsewhere you want saying, you know, if you, you know, you will be turned away, all the rest of that. But if one relative of yours who made it through was released, got on the bus and went, joined his relatives in Miami or whatever, and calls you up and says, Hey, they let me go. I'm here. I'm going to get my work permit in a couple of weeks. You should try it too. That's real information. It's the disinformation office that's going to be peddling, quite frankly, disinformation. People know what is the, what the real story is. And if the chances of getting across and being released and de facto being allowed to stay indefinitely, if those chances are good, people are going to act on it. Let me ask you uh, politics here. I, I think I agree with your assessment of, 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 of the why. But do they, do they understand the avalanche that could hit them in November because of this? This is, I mean, it's not inflation, but it's, it's right up there. And for people in those border states, it's, you know, very, very, very important. Some people do seem to understand it, but there's, as far as I can tell, and, you know, I don't have any inside information about the thinking inside the White House, but there seem to be two factions, as it were, two tendencies. Both of them agree on the goal. In other words, neither one of them likes immigration limits or wants to enforce immigration law. But the more realistic faction, and this seems to be as improbable as it is, represented by Ron Klain, the chief of staff in the White House, and Susan Rice, they're saying, look, we agree with you totally, but we're going to get annihilated in November. And, you know, we're going to lose the House anyway, but we might not lose the Senate. If we keep going this way, we're going to lose the Senate, too. So let's tap on the brakes. The problem is um, the people running immigration policy, in other words, all the people that they have plugged into DHS and elsewhere, these guys are uh, anti-borders radicals. And I don't mean radicals in that they're throwing Molotov cocktails, but I mean, they have a radical uh, uh, anti-border view of their job. And so uh, they seem to be winning. 
And I don't know what goes through the heads of those guys. I think they figure, well, we're going to lose the house anyway. Let's go for broke now. Get as many people in as possible. Uh, by the time there's a Republican president, maybe in 2025, maybe not, uh, these people will all, they, they'll be undeportable at that point because they'll have kids and we'll play the usual sob story game. And so it's a kind of, they see it as a kind of ratchet. Let's get in as many people as we can. They'll be here permanently. Then it'll be sort of a two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. I think that's the way they're thinking about it. Uh, there have been some conversations about conversations between President Biden and the president of Mexico about getting Mexico to do more. Is that in the direction of remain in Mexico? Are those conversations taking place, do you know? And could that policy come back into effect? Well, the remain in Mexico policy technically is still in effect. The court has required the administration to not end it. But they're only enrolling like a few hundred people in that program. And there's like, you know, like I said, there's thousands a day yeah. coming yeah. across. Yeah. So, yes, there's no question Mexico can be a partner. Uh, that's something, for instance, that Governor Abbott of Texas, that's what he tried to do when, I don't know if you saw that, he basically shut down the bridges across the Rio Grande that brought truck traffic. And the, the Mexican state governors, this is not the federal government, but the state governors, there's four of them that border Texas, all of them within days said, what can we do to get you to open the bridges again? And so they signed agreements that they would work at their end to try to limit illegal immigration. That's all good. I'm not sure how much good it's going to do, but it's all fine. The problem is that cooperation, Mexican cooperation with us on immigration works best when we are both rowing in the same direction. In other words, when our, our policy is to dissuade people, disincentivize people from coming across, and then Mexico can help with that. What this administration is doing is trying to get Mexico to do its job for it. In other words, Mexico to slow the flow of people, but this administration does nothing at our end to slow the flow of people. That can't yeah. work. Yeah. It's also kind of, I don't know, it's kind of sleazy. Why are you asking a foreign government yeah. to do, yeah. to protect your sovereignty yeah. when you're yeah. unwilling to do it yourself? You yeah. know? What about these governors? I mean, uh, Abbott, you mentioned uh, the bus, the buses to DC, the efforts uh, that, uh, you know, they're, spending money and resources of, of their own uh, at the border. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think it's sort of similar to asking Mexico or Mexican states to help. There's some things that American states can do at the margins to help this. Texas is taking the lead, but there's a lot of other states who are also engaged in, uh, you know, lawfare. I mean, they're suing the federal government, that sort of thing. All of that can help a little bit. The uh, busing illegals to Washington is kind of a stunt, but, you know, politics is partly theater, so there's nothing wrong with stunts. Um, Abbott, Governor Abbott shutting the bridges down helped. Again, a little bit. He's got National Guard. We ran into a bunch of those uh, when I was down there. And, you know, they can help a little bit as eyes and ears for the Border Patrol. But ultimately, this is a federal responsibility. This is why we have a federal government, so that they deal with things that affect the entire nation. They're in charge of military. They also are in charge of border issues. There's only so much Mexico and Texas and all of them all together could do if the government in Washington is pursuing the opposite policy. Let's stay with the government in Washington for a second. Last question on politics of this, I think, anyway. Uh, someone asked on one of the Sunday shows, if if Republicans take the House, which I most certainly think they will, let's say for the sake of the argument, they take the Senate. Can those two bodies 
be up to the task? Can they do anything? Uh, or is this really so much executive power and executive office? Uh, the answer is both. Is, is both. In other words, there, there clearly are things that Congress, the Republicans take both houses of Congress they can do. The two big things they can do is oversight, which is to say hearings. You subpoena administration people, that kind of thing. In other words, you sort of go to war against the administration just to find out what the heck they're doing and make them, you know, make them accountable. The other thing, of course, is purse strings. Government, I mean, uh, the Congress is in charge of appropriating funds. Uh, again, though, you know, that can get to, you end up with government shutdown, you know, fights and they're playing chicken. Republicans usually lose those things because yeah. the media is all on the yeah. side of the yeah. Democrats. So, Again, just like with Governor Abbott, just like with the, gov- with the government of Mexico, the Congress can do a good deal. They can do more than those other actors. But ultimately, the, in- the president is in charge of enforcing laws. And if he refuses to enforce laws, it's hard to get him to do that. I mean, ult- the ultimate sanction is impeachment which isn't going to happen. I mean, we're not, the Republicans are not going to get two-thirds of the Senate. And even if they did, there'd still be squishes that wouldn't do it. And I don't even think yeah. it's a good idea because then Kamala Harris would be president. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Excuse me. The third thing they can do, other than oversight and money, is impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. That's almost certainly going to happen. The president, I mean, the House of Representatives will file and probably pass articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. I don't think the Senate will vote to remove him. I don't think there's enough people for that. But all of those things help. All of those things move in the right direction. Ultimately, though, it can't really change until the president changes his policies or there's a different president. And, uh, you know, I I think one thing to point out, though, and this is something I think Republicans need to make their case differently or or maybe add elements to it. And what I mean by that is that Republicans are, are always complaining this is disorder at the border. It's, you know, it's, it's, there are criminals who get away with coming in. It's chaotic, all of that stuff. That's all true. But the real problem, of course, is that Congress has passed laws about how many newcomers we let into the United States. All kinds of reasons for protecting American workers, et cetera. Well, the Democrats do not believe in immigration limits. In other words, yeah. if all you're complaining about is chaos and disorder, well, then they get to say, okay, well, then give us some more money and we'll do it in a more orderly, less chaotic fashion. Uh, and so now what's your problem? Because, you know, we're talking this year about two million illegal alien arrests at the border. Um, and, you know, some of those people will be turned back. This is this fiscal year. They're projecting it to the end of September. But let's say half those people are let in, which would be a good bet, maybe more. Well, that's doubling the level of immigration to the United States, which is about one million a year, legal immigration. Well, the reason Congress passed laws about immigration limits is that those are limits. I mean, if those limits don't mean anything, if we're going to let in an extra million people on top of the ones that Congress approved of, well, then what do we have immigration laws for at all? You talked about the guy getting across and going to Miami and making a phone call. Where are they going? I don't mean I don't mean to sound like I live in a gated community. I don't. Where are these million people going? They're going everywhere, wherever it was that their relatives or countrymen are, because almost all the people illegally crossing the border and then, you know, making these phony asylum claims, they all have relatives here. 
Chicago, New York, L.A., Miami, D.C., you name it. In other words, wherever there's, okay. I mean, Haitians, there's a lot of Haitians in Miami, and so the Haitians end up going to there. There's lots of Central Americans in the D.C. area, so that's where a lot of them go. So they're really just following the immigration patterns that already exist precisely because this is a regular migration flow. This is not refugee. Um, if you remember back during Vietnam and the aftermath of the Vietnam War, remember there were those Hmong refugees, these hill, hill tribesmen from Laos yeah. who had fought on our side and then the communists were trying to exterminate them with yeah. nerve gas. Yeah. Yeah. And so we took a bunch of them in. Well, they had, there were no Hmong here. So they basically started from scratch and they developed their networks, but they were starting from scratch. None of the people coming over the border now are starting from scratch. They all have relatives here, yeah. friends, countrymen, what have you. And so they're going to the places that there are already uh, immigrants, the, the, where there are already people who told them now is the time to come, or in a lot of cases may even have paid the smugglers to bring them. So yeah. Yeah. wherever there's immigrant communities, you're going to see some of these people. I, I remember an interview with a Republican Hispanic in New York uh, about the drop off uh, in the, at the Westchester Airport. Right. You know, the planes. Right. Yeah. And and they said, uh, yeah, he said, maybe someone's under the illusion that they're going to all end up in Bronxville. He said they're not. Uh, they, you know, they will end up in right. our in our in our vast you know Hispanic community in the Bronx and elsewhere. And elsewhere, too. I mean. Those people being flown into the Westchester Airport, those were mainly the so-called unaccompanied minors. Right. And they're now, none of those unaccompanied. They're all brought by smugglers. Smugglers were paid by their illegal alien parents who live in the United States already. And the American taxpayer paid to deliver them to their parents yeah. to finish the smuggling yeah. conspiracy. It's just that Westchester Airport was a convenient place to bus people to, you know, Connecticut and to the new end of the city and to New Jersey and elsewhere. And that kind of thing's happening all over the country. It's just that the thing at Westchester, New York, just got the attention of some uh, reporters. So they got pictures. Uh, and, and last, um, you use the, the, the term unaccompanied minors. The pictures I see is mostly young men of the million or the two million we might expect. What percentage? Well, probably. Are- yeah, probably half of them are just single adults, almost all men. The other half are a mix. They're men and women with kids, bringing kids with them. Because if you have a kid with you, that's basically almost a guarantee that you're going to be released. Right. Um, and so people are bringing their kids with them. I mean, there's some of that. Some people have said, well, you know, there's there are people renting kids and there's child trafficking and all that. And I have no doubt there is some of that. But for the most part, it's just people bringing their own kids in order to get released because the kid is basically a golden ticket. And that needs to end. I mean, uh, you know, we need to make clear that you can't just come across the border and get let in. And that asylum, which is really the, at the heart of all of this, that might be where the whole separate show is our asylum policy is not just this way of avoiding the whole rest of immigration policy and immigration limits. And that's the way it's being used. And this administration basically wants to give asylum to anybody who asks for it. Uh, And they have a new, they have a new rule in the pipeline regulation that would dramatically expand who gets asylum and would make it a lot easier, a lot quicker. And that's part of their plan for dealing with the border is so that they, you know, rechristen these people as asylum recipients as quickly as possible 
and then say, it's not illegal. What's your complaint? It's all legal now. Uh, and you want to use asylum as a way of negating, mooting the rest of the immigration law. Yes, let's let's do take that up in another in another show. Um, Happy to do it. Uh, last thing, uh, there, there's talk about mounting Democrat opposition to, to the change of in 42. Do you think that happens or does 42 occur? It was supposed to be it was supposed to end. Title 42 was supposed to end May 23rd because it's a public health measure. In other words, that's the point. It's not really an immigration measure. There's a public health emergency. And so the Border Patrol is authorized to just right. just uh, sort of bounce people out of the country. No, you know, no uh, fuss, no bother. Well, the you know pandemic is ending Um now, what happened is that it's not going to end on the 23rd of May because there was a lawsuit by some Republican states that the administration didn't dot its I's and cross the T's and what have you. And so it's temporarily on hold, which is to say it's still in place. The, the end of it is temporarily on hold. It's going to end at some point, though. It can't not end. And I don't see how they can just keep kicking it down the road until after the election, because that's really what they're worried about. Oh, they can't they can't kick it past November. Well, I mean, they can, I guess. They, I suppose they could try, but I mean, they've committed to ending it. They've said that it, you know, needs to end. You know, I mean, there's a, a very almost infinite capacity for hypocrisy in yeah. politics, but I don't know if it's quite that infinite. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, so, I and and their own Democratic constituency groups are screaming bloody murder, even to wait till May 23rd. They want to end it now. The Hispanic Caucus in Congress, um, all these activist groups. So, um. I don't know. I think, first of all, I think the administration was delighted with the judges ruling that they couldn't end it on May 23rd. In other words, they were, you know, seekers like throw me in the briar patch kind of thing. You know what I mean? But I think if I had to bet, and this is, I wouldn't bet a lot on this, but I think they're going to lean on the CDC and say, you guys got to come up with some new variant so we can extend this. It can be the Roe variant, the, the five, and we don't... Find a Greek letter, find a new alphabet if you run out of Greek letters, but we needed new variants so we can extend Title 42 by saying, oh, the threat continues, you know? Yeah, well, we'll Fauci can, has been known to reverse himself. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Mark, I hope I never talk again. <laughs> well, I can't say that. I, I no, no, enjoy love... talking to you, but uh, if we have nothing left to talk about, I guess that might be good. No, so. no, we love talking to you too and learn so yeah. much. But God, this is just so awful. I just so sure awful, is. and I just, I, you know, I just bleed for my country. I mean, it, it's awful, and it's so stupid of people. And I'm, you know, we are a country. We do have borders. They're to be taken seriously. Thank you very much. Thanks for all the work you do. Thanks for your life's work. Happy to do it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You know, free email services like Gmail and Yahoo aren't really free. You pay with your privacy. In fact, Internet giants like Big Tech bank on exploiting your data by selling it to the highest bidder. Your business plan? Google has it. Your medical records? Yahoo can sell them to drug companies. You've got to be concerned about your email surveillance. So much of your personal data is at risk by using these free service providers. Companies can sell your data and they can target people with intrusive ads. You open up your email and then there's ad after ad after ad. It also opens you up to identity theft and phishing attacks. That's why I started to use Startmail. It makes me feel safe again. Startmail keeps my email private, period. 
Every email can be encrypted, even if the recipient does not use encryption. When you delete an email and start mail, it's gone forever. Not floating in the cloud, not able to be recovered somewhere, but gone. And StartMail uses their own servers, not Amazon's, which means they can't be put out of business like Parler. Switching to StartMail is seamless, too. You can easily transfer all your current email data, so there's no starting from scratch. StartMail is also backed by the most stringent privacy laws in the world. You get unlimited anonymous aliases. This feature protects your main email address from spam and phishing attacks. So when you're giving your email to a company but want to protect your identity, Startmail can generate a shareable alias email so people can't sell your information and they can be deleted any time. The thing I like about Startmail is that anytime I'm trying to sign up for a newsletter or I've got to send people my information and I've got to include an email address, it's unavoidable the way technology is. You've got to send that email address. The alias feature here on Startmail allows you to send an email address, still be able to correspond with people, but your real email address is still hidden. It's like an extra layer of protection. Plus, I like spy movies and spy television series, and so it makes me feel like a spy. Uh, l- listen, I'm joking, but your cybersecurity has never been more at risk. We see this in the news all the time. Email snoops and scammers are taking advantage of the pandemic as phishing has skyrocketed in the last year. You can take control of your privacy with Startmail before it's too late. Start securing your email privacy with Startmail. Sign up today and you'll get 50% off your first year. That's half off of the first year. Go to startmail.com slash bill. That's startmail with a T, startmail, S-T-A-R-T, mail.com slash bill for 50% off your first year. Startmail.com slash bill. Okay, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett and feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We will catch up next week.